Welcome to another Salvation by Grace midweek message. Salvation by Grace is the teaching ministry of Grace Christian Assembly, a Sovereign Grace Fellowship in Smyrna, Tennessee. Remember to visit our website at salvationbygrace.org. Now, here's our pastor and teacher, Jim McClarty. Tonight we are going to read all the way through chapter 3 of Ezekiel. Alex asked me a minute ago if we were going to make two chapters tonight. I doubt that. Even though on Sunday morning, Micah came up and said, So, book of James, we got three whole verses. Ezekiel, we get two chapters. Well, yes, Ezekiel is just more narrative, so it's kind of easier to do larger portions than it was the book of James, but we're going to read chapter 2 tonight in order to build up speed into chapter 3. Now, there are a couple of things that just leap out of here almost automatically, things that you can't read and come away without seeing, obviously, that God, when he commissions somebody to be his prophet, someone to be his mouthpiece, God doesn't care if it's going to be difficult on them. Because he starts right out by telling Ezekiel, this is going to be hard on you. And, and rather than say, I'm going to make sure that the people aren't hard on you, that they don't tie you up in ropes, that they don't persecute you, I'm just going to give you a harder head than they have. I'm going to make your forehead like flint. And, and that's just going to be a tougher forehead than the Israelites. And then he says to Ezekiel a couple of times, Preach what I tell you to preach, whether they hear it or not. Now, I think that's really an important imperative. And I wish more people handling the word of God were actually listening to that instruction. Because it seems like every preacher I turn on, on the internet, TV, radio, you see them constantly compromising the word of God in order to make it more approachable to the goats who can't hear it. And in order to make the people feel better about themselves so that more people will come into their church, so that more wallets will be opened so that they can build bigger edifices to their own ministry, they seem to cut away the edges constantly. Uh, we got a letter just yesterday from a <laughs> A listener out in Arizona who was saying, you know, my church is professedly um, sovereign grace, but when it comes to God's absolute sovereignty, it gets all kind of squishy around the edges. <laughs> and yet Ezekiel is told that not only is he commanded by God to say exactly what God has told him to say, he's then told that his tongue is going to cleave to the roof of his mouth. He's going to have the, the reg, real translation would be he's going to have a heavy tongue and that he's not going to be able to speak until God opens his mouth to speak and that he's also going to be locked up in his house so that he can't go and tell the Israelites, he can't go and rebuke them, he can't go tell them to repent. Instead, he has to wait until the warnings come from God and then he has to say exactly what God says and they're not going to like it and they're going to treat you badly and I'm going to give you a tough head but say only what I told you to say whether they hear it or not. And that to me is very instructive. Say what the word of God says whether they hear it or not. 
Now, again, in God's absolute sovereignty, he does not ask people. He doesn't ask anybody, how would you like to be my mouthpiece? How would you like to be a prophet? He doesn't give people choices like that. We haven't found a prophet yet that God didn't commission and then say, you're mine, and this is how we do it, and it's going to be difficult, and I impose myself on you now. You're going to be my prophet. There are young folks who write to me every once in a while, and they say to me, I'm thinking about entering the ministry. I think I'd like to preach. Because in many, many churches, the preacher is the best lit loudest person in the room and so they think well I'd I'd like that job I'd like to stand up in the front and be the preacher guy and everybody would see me on Sundays so I'd like to stand up and do that I always say the same thing back to them I always say if there's anything else that you can do do it anything else if you can do it go do it because if God has commissioned you You can't do anything else. You end up having to preach God's word. It's irresistible to you. You have to go out and advance the cause of Christ. Well, God has always been that way. He has always, always worked that way, whether it's the way that he imposed the law on Israel or whether it's the way that he's going to tell Ezekiel, you're going to speak when I tell you to speak, and you're not going to speak when I haven't told you to speak, and... I'm going to make your tongue incapable of speaking until I loose your tongue and allow you to speak. And if I tell you to go warn people and you don't go warn those people, I'm going to hold you accountable for their blood. Yeah, I know. Yeah. And he at no point asks Ezekiel, is that okay with you if we do it that way? He just simply imposes himself, his rules, his standards, his word, onto Ezekiel. And 20 years, Ezekiel has to do this. So, again, the principles that we're going to see in these two chapters are God is irresistible. When God commissions somebody, they have to do what God says because he's God and they're not. And secondly, the word of God deserves to be declared whether people hear it or not. The pure word of God, the right word of God, the true word of God, the biblical word of God, the scriptural word of God deserves to be advanced and preached and said over and over whether or not people hear it. Because God's going to keep saying whether they hear it or not. Because they're stubborn, hard-hearted people. But you have to go tell it. And I believe that that is the commission of anybody who picks up a Bible and says, I'm a preacher now. I'm going to go preach the word of God. I think then you are absolutely required to stick to what the word of God says and not compromise the word just to gather followers. But the word of God deserves to be advanced. And you're going to see that over and over again here. So let's start in chapter 2 of the book of Ezekiel, just to build up speed to get into chapter 3. 
after he has seen the glory of God and the thrones and the chariot of God, and after he has seen the crystal-like rainbows and the sea of glass and the four living creatures, after he has gotten a glimpse of the majesty and the glory of God, God then commissions him, and he has no choice but to respond. Chapter 2, verse 1, Then he said to me, Son of man, stand on your feet that I may speak with you. And as he spoke to me, the Spirit entered me and set me on my feet, and I heard him speaking to me. Then he said to me, Son of man, I am sending you to the sons of Israel, to a rebellious people who have rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. And I am sending you to them who are stubborn and obstinate children. And you shall say to them, thus says the Lord God. As for them, whether they listen or not, for they are a rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, son of man, neither fear them nor fear their words, Though thistles and thorns are with you and you sit on scorpions. We talked a little bit about that phrase last week, but that's the first place where God says it's going to be hard. It's going to be like coursing your way through thistles and thorns. And when you sit down, it's going to be like sitting on scorpions. It's going to be a really hard path I've set in front of you because they are hard-hearted, rebellious children. So it's going to be difficult But you'll notice at no point does he say, so I'm going to make it a little easier. God's one compromise that we're not going to see tonight, we'll see it next week. God's one compromise in the midst of all this is when he tells Ezekiel that he has to eat cakes burned over human dung. And Ezekiel argues with him and says, I've never eaten anything unclean. And God goes, okay, you're going to have cow dung. That's the big compromise right there. He doesn't make anything any easier on Ezekiel. He just tells him it's going to be hard. But I'll be with you. I'm going to give you a harder head than they have. And you're going to advance my word no matter what. So you, son of man, neither fear them nor fear their words, Though thistles and thorns are with you and you sit on scorpions, neither fear their words nor be dismayed at their presence, for they are a rebellious house. How many times now has God said they're rebellious children? They're obstinate children. They are a rebellious house. God knows what they're like. I also really appreciate the fact that even though God keeps saying They're obstinate, they're difficult, they're rebellious, they're sinful. Notice what he does in response to that. He sends his word again. He sends them another prophet again. God doesn't give up on them. God doesn't say, well, that's it. They're an obstinate bunch of kids and I'm done with them. Instead, like a faithful father, he keeps correcting them, keeps drawing them back, keeps teaching them again. And ultimately, the big picture Ultimately, because they can't be saved by that covenant of works and because they've already broken that covenant and because they've rebelled and chased their foreign gods, because they have been a sinful, obstinate, rebellious nation, for that reason, 
God ultimately forms a new covenant with them, with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah. And Jeremiah, who is a contemporary of Ezekiel, is the one who announces the new covenant. So God doesn't give up on them. He just keeps giving them prophets and examples so that they understand how truly bad they are so that when they see the declarations at the end of the book of Israel's restoration and the ultimate temple that's going to be built and the valley of dry bones and this is the whole house of Israel that I will raise up on the last day, those kind of declarations from God are even more astounding against the backdrop of God repeatedly saying, you're rebellious, you're sinful, you're obstinate. As I've told you, he's going to say that they've been that way all the way back to Egypt. He always knew they were this way. And yet, he's going to redeem them via a covenant of grace based not anymore on their works, but based on the works of his son. And that's exactly like us. There's not a person in this room who can't declare, I'm obstinate, I'm rebellious, I want to go my own way. But God who is faithful doesn't lose his children just because of their obstinacy. Is that a word? It is now. Okay. Obstinacy. Yeah, I'm going with it. Huh? Obstinacy? What the heck are you saying? (laughs) Because of their difficulties and disobedience and stubbornness. Obstinacy is a word? Yes. Oh, take that. So, oh. <laughs> well, there we are. I just like the fact, and I just want to keep reemphasizing the fact, because we are a sovereign grace church, that God doesn't lose his people, even though he declares what they're like, and he knows what they're like, and he says what they're like. And he says it over and over and over again, and yet makes a new covenant with them, makes declarations of salvation and good for them, gives them hope in the midst of of their terrible, terrible behavior. So don't be dismayed at their presence, for they are a rebellious house. Verse 7, but you shall speak my words to them, whether they listen or not. For they are rebellious, which is the assumption, since they are rebellious, that they're not going to listen. They're not going to hear what you're saying. They're not going to heed your warnings. They're not going to listen to what you're saying. When you tell them God is righteous and holy and your behavior is not, they're not going to pay attention to you. But say it anyway. Say my words anyway, because my words deserve to be said. So you will speak my words to them, whether they listen or not, for they are rebellious. Now you, son of man, listen to what I am speaking to you. Do not be rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I am giving you. Then I looked. Behold, a hand was extended to me, and lo, a scroll was in the hand. And when he spread it out before me, it was written on the front and on the back. And what was inside it? What was written on it were lamentations 
and mourning and woe. So these are dark statements from the word of God that he has to digest, ingest, take into himself. These are the words of God that he has to say to Israel. And that's the beginning of chapter 3. So then he said to me, son of man, eat what you find, eat this scroll, and go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he fed me this scroll. And he said to me, son of man, feed your stomach, and fill your body with this scroll which I am giving you. And then I ate it, and it was sweet as honey in my mouth. He just includes that it was sweet as honey as he ate it, and there are commentators who say, well, it is the word of God, and that the word of God, whether positive or whether full of lamentation and woe, is still sweet to the prophet who has to take in the words of God. That's as close to a reasonable explanation as I can find, but when he ate the scroll, it tasted like honey but we know it was full of lamentation and mourning and woe. So he said to me, son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak with my words to them. I don't think it's insignificant that God says, speak with my words to them. Because in a minute, God's going to shut him up in his own house and give him that inability to speak while his tongue cleaves in his mouth so that he can't go forewarn them. So he can't say anything to them until he speaks the word of God to them. And then God, I, I, I'm sorry, I just like the humor of God. I, I like God's sarcastic attitude. And I do think it's one of my more godlike qualities. I'm sorry, I just I can't escape it. You're not being sarcastic, are you? At this moment, I'm not. <laughs> I'm being quite sincere. <clears throat> For you are not being sent to a people of unintelligible speech or difficult language. In other words, he's saying, go say what I said, because they should be able to understand it, because it's not as if I'm sending you to people who don't speak your language. It's not as if I'm sending you to people who have an entirely different dialect than you who wouldn't understand your words. I'm sending you to people who understand the definitions and they can comprehend the sounds and so they should understand your speech. They're not going to, but go and tell them whatever it is I told you because I'm not sending you to people who don't understand you. I'm sending you to people who should understand simple language. Here, I'll give you an example. Talk to anybody who says, I'm a Christian, who speaks English. Another American English-speaking Christian. And they should be able to understand the word of God then, right? And then you get to like Ephesians 1. And they go, I, I don't get it. I don't understand God's foreordination and predestination, God electing people before the foundation of the world. I don't get it. And God says, but they should. You're speaking a language. It's written in a language. It's, it's been translated to a language that people should understand. It's the word of God. Especially Christians ought to be willing to say, whatever the word of God says, I accept it. Even if I don't understand it, I accept it. And yet far too many people reject the word of God 
and the instruction is even though they reject it say it say it anyway keep telling it anyway even if they're obstinate and can't hear it so God says I think semi-sarcastically for you are not being sent to a people of unintelligible speech or difficult language but I'm sending you to the house of Israel I'm not sending you to many people of unintelligible speech or difficult language whose words you cannot understand but I have sent you to them who should listen to you okay so there's a prophet in Israel that's one of the reasons that he commissioned Ezekiel even if they don't listen they're going to know that there is a prophet among them and you're going to give them all of these examples and you're going to prophesy as to what is coming you're going to tell them the very word of God you're going to prophesy the future you're going to prophesy the destruction of Jerusalem you're going to tell them how long they're going to be in captivity you're going to tell them all this stuff and it's going to come true they're going to know there's a prophet in their midst and yet they're not going to listen but say it <laughs> don't say anything but what I tell you to say and they should be able to understand it they speak your language you speak theirs but tell them I'm not sending you to people of unintelligible speech or difficult language whose words you cannot understand but I have sent you to them who should listen to you and yet the house of Israel will not be willing to listen to you since they are not willing to listen to me that's what it all comes down to it all comes down to it's the Word of God and regardless of really who is declaring it if it is the Word of God if it's what is written in the scripture if it's the very declarations of God himself then people ought to sit up and pay attention they ought to hear the Word of God and they ought to change their behavior accordingly and they ought to worship him and they ought to esteem him and they ought to know that his word is a valuable treasure given to this people at this time and place and yet they're not going to hear it and God knows they're not going to hear it now is it worth pointing out that since God has already told Ezekiel they're not going to hear it was there any chance they were going to hear it no. there's no chance for them to hear it so this is really amazing to me because Ezekiel is told and commissioned go tell the word God has already determined they're not going to hear it why because if they heard it they would change they would repent they would change their ways yes sir I've heard people say well why should we go preach to people if God's already decided why would you preach to a valley of dry bones yeah why would you do it answer the question why would you do it because God said to that's the exact right answer ding 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 big A plus you get a star on your forehead that's the exact right answer because God said to because every once in a while in the midst of all the rebellious non-hearing people there's a Micah every once in a while in the midst of all the people who aren't hearing there's Jen who heard right so that's why we do it because God said go do it so we go out and preach to 
all the people who can't hear it because every once in a while someone who can hear it does hear it. And that's why we're commissioned to tell it. So Ezekiel is commissioned to go out and speak to the children of the house of Israel, and they will not be willing to listen to you since they are not willing to listen to me. comes down to that. If people won't hear the prophet, if people won't hear the word of God, if people won't listen to the word of God preached, it's not because they ultimately hate the preacher. They hate the God who the preacher is advancing. Surely the whole house of Israel is stubborn and obstinate. Behold, I have made your face as hard as their faces and made your forehead as hard as their foreheads, which sounds to me like they're going to be butting heads. Now, that idea of forehead shows up a couple of times in the Old Testament because the forehead is like representative of the whole face. Jeremiah responds to a, I'm trying to find a nice name for a woman of the night. And, and he says that she has a, a harlot's forehead. And so that forehead is representative of the way the mind acts, the way the mind works, the corruption of the mind, and the ability to to think and and butt heads. Yes. That's how goats fight. That's how goats fight. Yep. <laughs> they pound each other in the forehead. Yep. That's so exactly right. Your audience. Yeah. Ready. Yeah. And so he says, I'm going to make your forehead stronger than their forehead. So get out there and fight with them like emery. Harder than flint, I have made your forehead. So do not be afraid of them or be dismayed before them, though they are a rebellious house. How many times does God have to keep saying, they are a rebellious house? I think it's about seven. <laughs> he just keeps... You were trying to count. He just keeps bringing it up. They are a rebellious house. Moreover, verse 10, Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, take into your heart all my words which I shall speak to you and listen closely and go to the exiles, to the sons of your people and speak to them and tell them whether they listen or not, and tell them, thus says the Lord God. So you're going to go, and you're going to speak my word. When I speak to you, pay attention. Listen closely. Memorize what I have said to you. And then go say it to them, whether they hear it or not. Whether they pay attention, whether they listen, say it anyway. Because that is what I have commissioned you to do, to say my word. Verse 12, then the spirit lifted me up and I heard a great rumbling sound behind me. Blessed be the glory of the Lord in his place. And I heard the sound of the wings of the living beings touching one another. And I heard the sound of the wheels beside them even a great rumbling sound. So the spirit lifted me up and took me away, and I went 
embittered in the rage of my spirit, and the hand of the Lord was strong on me. Yeah, I would say so. The hand of the Lord was a might strong on him, especially when you find out what he's going to do to him in just a moment. And the reason that he says, I went out embittered in the rage of my spirit, was not only has he ingested these lamentations and this mourning and this woe, but now he has to go out and declare these things to Israel, who are going to hate him for declaring these things. And so there are some commentators who say he's angry at Israel because he understands the point Israel has come to and the anger of God against them. So it may be that he's embittered in his spirit because of the way God is angry at Israel, or he may be embittered in his spirit over the fact that Israel won't listen to God. But either way, between those two parties, he's right in the middle. And so he has to go say it to them. They're going to hate him for it. And he has to do whatever God says, and God told him it's going to be really hard. So either way, it's going to be a difficult journey. So then I came to the exiles. This is verse 15. I came to the exiles who lived before the river Chebar at Tel Abib, and I sat there for seven days where they were living, causing consternation among them. Okay, so they're quite worried about him because he catches up with them, and for seven days, nothing. For seven days, he doesn't say anything. He's just got that woeful bitterness in his spirit which causes them great consternation. You know, Ezekiel, don't forget, is the son of Buzi, who is a priest. That means he's of the lineage of the Levites. And so there's a likelihood that being a Levite among the, the Israelites who are scattered, they may be looking to him as their priest. And yet he just sits among them, says nothing, and it causes them a great deal of worry and consternation. Verse 16, so now it came about at the end of seven days that the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, I have appointed you a watchman to the house of Israel. Do you understand what a watchman is? This was a very, very common thing among Israelites and any of the Middle Eastern nations and most of the European nations. If you had a city that had a wall around it, you would oftentimes have watchtowers. That's what a watchtower is about, is that it's a high pillar-like structure that you can send people up into, and they can see a distance over the land, and they can see if there are enemies coming, so that if enemy armies are approaching, you have time to warn the folks outside the wall to get inside the wall, and you have the time to tell the folks inside the wall to prepare for battle. Those are watchmen, and they were posted all over Middle Eastern cities, not only in the watchtowers, but out in the plains, on the walls themselves, there were always watchmen. And so now God has said to Ezekiel, I am making you a watchman for Israel. Why? Because there's all this stuff coming, like the destruction of Jerusalem, like the time they're going to spend in exile. There's all of this Difficulty from God coming, and his job is to see the, the trouble coming and warn Israel. So that Israel, like any good city, ought to prepare. Because here comes the trouble, so prepare for it. That's what watchmen do. What do they do? Not listen, not prepare. But he's told to be a watchman. Now you would think, after he's been told, they're not going to listen. 
they're rebellious over and over. They're a rebellious house. They're not going to listen. Now God says, I'm going to make you a watchman over them. That his next response would have to be, wait, they're not going to listen to me. Why am I a watchman over them? You just told me they're not going to listen. So God ups the ante. Son of man, I have appointed you a watchman to the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, warn them from me. So God is the one bringing the trouble, and God is sending the warning ahead of the trouble. And so when the trouble reaches them and they won't listen, they're guilty completely, and therefore God is completely just in bringing the trouble. It's like, I sent you somebody. I sent you a warning. I sent you a prophet. He told you this was going to happen. You didn't listen, but I'm completely justified in bringing the trouble your way because he didn't listen to me. I sent you a watchman. So when you hear a word from me, warn them from me. When I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you do not warn him, or speak out to warn the wicked from his wicked way that he may live, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. Wow, talk about up the ante. I mean, God is saying, you're not just going to be a watchman, but you're going to say everything I tell you to say, and if you don't, I'm going to hold you accountable for the blood of the people you did not warn. Because I sent the warning, I commissioned you to warn them, and I'm going to require their blood at your hand. Now, let me point out, this idea of blood accountability goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. Let's, let's look at that for just a second. Turn to Genesis 9. Keep your finger there in Ezekiel. Turn to Genesis 9. This is God talking to Noah and his sons after the flood is over. We'll just start reading from verse 1. God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And the fear of you and the terror of you shall be on every beast of the earth and every bird of the sky and everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea into your hand they're all given. Every moving thing that is alive shall be food for you I give it all to you as I gave you the green plant. Only you shall not eat flesh with its life in it, that is, its blood. And surely I will require your lifeblood from every beast, I will require it. And from every man and from every man's brother, I will require the life of a man. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man, his blood will be shed. For in the image of God, God made man. As for you, be fruitful and multiply. So all the way back there, right after Noah, God laid out this principle that the blood of man is the life of man. The, even Paul picks it up and talks about it in Romans, that the, the blood is the life. And so God is telling Ezekiel here, that if these people die and you didn't warn them, then you're going to be accountable for their blood. And they're going to die either in their repentant state or in their sin state, but I require of you that you warn them. 
because here's how he puts it in verse 19. Yet if you have warned the wicked and he does not turn from his wickedness or from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered yourself. So if you don't warn the wicked man and he dies in his sin, I'm going to require his blood of you. But if you've warned him and he dies in his iniquity, you've delivered yourself. So it's just another way for God to encourage Ezekiel. When I say warn people, warn people. And then whatever happens to them isn't your problem. As long as you have said what I said, as long as you gave them the word I gave you, then you walk away guiltless. You've delivered yourself. But if you don't tell people what I said, I'll require it of you. This is probably a good moment to extrapolate for a moment. Because I really am adamant about this idea of preach the word of God. All the way through the Bible, the word of God keeps saying preach the word of God. And only by preaching the word of God the way the word of God is written can you actually genuinely warn people? Can you tell them about the judgment to come? Can you tell them about the tribulation to come? To tell them about the Christ that's returning with the sword out of his mouth? To warn them of the fact that God is a jealous and righteous God who is going to judge in righteousness, but he is going to judge. And I think this warning that if you do not warn people about that, I'm going to hold you guilty for that. I tell folks again, when they say I'm thinking about going into the ministry, part of the reason I tell them if you can do anything else, do it, is because the job includes telling people things they don't want to hear. Difficult things. Like you're a sinner and you're really horribly depraved. I didn't mean to look right at you when I said you're a sinner. <laughs> But I was there on game night, and never mind. But (laughs) if you don't warn people, if you don't tell people, you've got an example right here where God says, I hold you accountable if you don't tell people what I said. And that's, again, why I keep saying to people, be careful if you're handling the word of God. If you're telling other people about the word of God, Be careful, because there's a requirement. There's a commission that comes with it. That is, tell the truth. Preach the word. Stick to what the word says. And if you don't do it, God holds you accountable, which is why, and Alex and I were just talking about this the other night, this is why I don't hold the people in the pews as guilty as I hold the men in the pulpits. The people in the pews love them and bless them. They're listening to whatever the preacher is saying. And they're taking it in and they're thinking this must be the truth because he's standing up there saying it. But the guy who's standing up there saying it, especially with an open Bible, should be saying what the open Bible says. And the very fact that he doesn't means he's guilty and he's accountable to God. And God has made it clear over and over again, and we see it here again, that God makes it clear that he holds people accountable for what he has said if they don't say what he said. And so, this very stern warning, if you don't warn them, I'll hold you guilty of their blood. Now, when I was at the church in Franklin, there was an attempt made 
to kind of use that watchman on the wall language to inspire different uh, Bible class teachers and stuff. You know, well, you're the watchman on the wall. And to a degree, I had to say, well, you know, that is old covenant. And well, that is a, a different standard than we live by now. But I think the principle doesn't change. I think the principle is the requirement of people who claim they're speaking for God, people who say, this is the word of God, the Lord God says, then it's absolutely imperative that they actually say what God said. And they say all of what God said, and they don't truncate what God has said in order to make it more acceptable, and that they say what God says in order to keep themselves from blood guiltness. I don't want responsibility for any one of you rebels. I don't want you on my conscience. I don't want to give account. The writer of the book of Hebrews says the leaders of the church are going to end up giving account for your souls. I don't want to do that. What do I say on behalf of April? I don't want to talk about that. I'm sorry, I just picked on you because... You're, you're the most demure person in the room I could think of. You, you she look good, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that might or might not be true. But I take this stuff seriously. If God says, say it or I hold you accountable, I think that's an important principle. Say it or he holds us accountable. Verse 20, again, when a righteous man turns away from his righteousness and commits iniquity, and I place an obstacle before him and he shall die, notice that. God just said, I'm going to place the stumbling block in front of him that causes him to die. Because he was a righteous man who committed iniquity, and I think it's a merciful act of God to put a stumbling block in front of that man and make him die before committing more iniquity. But anyway, he says, if that happens, and I place an obstacle before him and he shall die, since you have not warned him, he shall die in his sin, and his righteous deeds, which he has done, shall not be remembered, but his blood I will require at your hand. However, if you have warned the righteous man that the righteous man should not sin and he does not sin, he shall surely live the opposite of die. Why? Because he took the warning and you have delivered yourself. So there's kind of two parallel tracks there. One is warn everybody. How they take the warning, how they react to the warning, that's between me and them. But you as the prophet, warn them if I say warn them or I'm going to require it of you. So that's pretty good inspiration. If all people need is adequate inducement to do their job, Ezekiel's got lots of inducement to do his job here. If I say warn them, warn them. Whatever I say, say that to them. And then God's going to make sure that he doesn't say anything else than God's word. Verse 22, And the hand of the Lord was on me there, and he said to me, Get up, go out to the plain or the valley, and there I will speak to you. So I got up, and I went out to the plain, 
And behold, the glory of the Lord was standing there, like the glory which I saw by the river Chebar, back in chapter 1. And I fell on my face, and the Spirit entered me and made me stand on my feet. And he spoke with me and said, Go shut yourself up in your house. As for you, son of man, they will put ropes on you and bind you with them so that you cannot go out among them. They're going to so hate what you have to say that they're going to tie you down. So first, let's represent that in type. What do you say? Go to your house. Stay in your house because you're going to be bound in the future. So go there and don't speak to them. Listen to what God says. As for you, they're going to put ropes on you and bind you with them so that you cannot go out among them. Moreover, I will make your tongue stick to the roof of your mouth so that you will be dumb and cannot be a man who rebukes them for they are a rebellious house. So God has just said to Ezekiel, everything I tell you, say. They're a rebellious house, so say it whether they hear it or not. Then God makes him incapable of speaking. And then says, I'm going to make it that you can't rebuke them. Because they are a rebellious house. All you're going to be able to do is warn them, but you don't get to rebuke them. You don't get to go tell them. You don't, you don't get to say anything but what I said to you. And that's what you'll say to them. If you think you're going to go out and use your words and warn them and rebuke them and try to get them to repent, I'm going to lock you up in your house and I want to make your tongue cleave to the roof of your mouth so that you can't speak to anybody till I tell you to go do it. As for you, son of man, they will put ropes on you and bind you with them so that you cannot go out among them. Moreover, I will make your tongue stick to the roof of your mouth so that you may be dumb and cannot be a man who rebukes them, for they are a rebellious house. But when I speak to you, I will open your mouth, and you will say to them, Thus says the Lord God. He who hears, let him hear. He who refuses, let him refuse, for they are a rebellious house. God keeps saying that, for they are a rebellious house. Now that principle, he who hears, let him hear. He that refuses, let him refuse, is a principle I've lived with for a long, long time. Under the obligation to just say the word of God. Whatever the word of God says, say that. If nobody listens, then nobody listens. If somebody hears, good, let them hear. But say it, say it, say it. So that's Ezekiel's commission. Quite a commission, huh? <laughs> Quite a tough gig. Now the first thing God's going to have him do, starting in chapter 4, we'll look at it next week. He's going to predict the siege of Jerusalem. Because eventually the armies of Nebuchadnezzar are actually going to knock down the walls of Jerusalem. And they're going to break down the temple. And they're going to burn it. And they're... And the siege of Jerusalem is coming. There's been several deportations out of Jerusalem, but Jerusalem still stands. And so there was always that hope that maybe we could go back to Jerusalem. The city still stands, but eventually Nebuchadnezzar is even going to destroy the city. And he's going to destroy the temple 
and that's going to destroy the hope of Israel. So what hope are they going to have? They have no hope. They have no future. They have no city. The hope they're going to have is God. Mm -hmm. And that's what God is doing. He's taking away the place where they worship, their mode of worship, the animals to worship with. He's taken away the priesthood. He's taken away everything from them. And by the time this book is over, he's going to reintroduce hope to Israel that is the hope in God and his faithfulness and God's ability to do with Israel the impossible under any normal circumstances because they are a rebellious house. Got it? Got it. Fun chapter, huh? Preach the word. Preach the word. If you come away with anything other than that tonight, preach the word, whether they hear it or they don't. Say it, or I'll require it of you. I wonder how many times men like William Carey and Adoniram Judson, who ministered for many, many years without seeing a single person converted, yeah. would read a passage like this and say, I have to keep preaching. Got to keep doing it. Got to keep doing it. Or Jeremiah. 30 years, not a convert, but got to do it. Not only because God's word is worth it, but because God's worth it. That's our, our inspiration as well as our instruction. Any other questions? Any other comments? Do you feel beaten down or joyous and happy? Joyous and happy. Okay, good. I, I'm glad there's joyous and happy somewhere in the room. Well, thanks for being here. Say goodbye to the internet congregation. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to this week's Salvation by Grace message. We welcome your feedback and encourage you to visit our website at salvationbygrace.org. And we invite you to join us next time when we gather around the Word and study the sovereign grace of God.